0: It's behind the headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. I am executive editor of the Express News Group. We're publishers of the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, and the websites 27east.com and sagharborexpress.com. With me is my co-host, Bill Sutton, who's managing editor of the Express News Group. Good morning, Bill.
1: Good morning, Joe. Good morning, everybody. And a panel of some of
0: the most talented and important journalists on the East End today, no question. Uh, We have Denise Civiletti, who is editor of Riverhead Local. Good morning, Denise.
2: Good morning. How
0: are you? Good to have you. Vera Chinise, who covers the East End for Newsday. Hey, Vera.
3: Good morning, Joe.
0: And Beth Young, who is editor of the East End Beacon. Hey, Beth.
3: Hey, Joe.
0: great good panel let's uh, we've got as usual more topics than we have time so let's just dive in um denise let's start uh up in calverton uh and talk about uh what you have going on up your way right
2: now uh well um so i was working on this story this week about um this survey that appeared on the uh a a survey by the navy or put out by the navy that appeared on the tech down of Riverhead website last Friday afternoon without any comment. And um, it was a survey uh, ostensibly to gauge uh, the environmental concerns of residents in the Calverton and surrounding area about um, emanating from the uh, former Grumman site, kind of like the polluted groundwater plume that's emanating from the former Grumman site.
0: And that affected a fairly wide area, right? I mean, it affected a, a chunk of Calverton and into Manorville.
2: It's affecting the area, um, you know, according to anybody but the Navy, it's affecting the area south and southeast of um, the former uh, garment facility, uh, much of which, as you know, right now is owned by the town of Riverhead. Uh, but that's another story. But the Navy has been – the Navy withheld transfer to some of the parcels there in order to um, – clean them up. Uh, it's a state Superfund site. Um, there's a, a lot of uh, nasty things that got buried there or used there. Uh, nasty things in the sense of like chemical contaminants that we know today are not good to drink. Um, and um, the Navy has been working on this, but has for years uh, resisted any suggestion that the activities on that site, and, and they continue to pretty much resist that. I correct me if, I mean, I think that's a fair impression, right? Vera, would you say that, that they've continued to resist that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And um, they, they absolutely deny that they're going to be financially responsible in any way for uh, running public water to these homes, which are without public water uh, because they're kind of in a remote area and it's really impossible uh, to bring public water there without charging the residents there a ridiculous amount of money that they wouldn't be able to pay. So you have people there with now documented polluted private drinking water wells who are using uh, bottled water for cooking and drinking um, and but are still like nevertheless having to shower and launder their clothing in this water. Um, 15% of the homes that have been tested there Uh, have been found to have uh, those emerging contaminants, PFAS, PFOA. I won't say their real names because I can't (laughs) remember. Um, And and that kind of thing. So the Suffolk County Water Authority is looking to run public water there. The town's looking to run public water there. But they need some, both of these entities need uh, financial assistance uh, from somebody to to do this. Otherwise, the the residents would have to pay and they can't do that. So
0: what was the point of the survey?
2: Well, here's the thing. So uh, they want to gauge the, <laughs> I and mean, they say this, the point of the survey is to gauge the environmental concerns of residents about this. Um, and so they, this survey, they don't issue a press release. They don't even post it on their own community outreach page on their, on their site, the, the Navy, the department of the Navy. Um, and they, and they, you know, release this survey and, um, in order to fill it out, in order to complete it, you have to, are you ready? What year is this? Print it out and fax it to. <laughs> <laughs>
4: okay.
2: Or you can fill it out. It's a PDF. Apparently you can fill it out online, but then download it and email it to this person. And what I have learned from members of the uh, this community advisory board that they uh, had to set up and they did years and years ago is that. They wanted to only conduct the survey by phone interview, like tell people you have to call. So this comes, and so that was the whole backdrop of, of where the survey came in, but this comes after at the last community advisory board meeting. Uh, they actually call it a restoration advisory board. And this board is supposed to like pay attention to what the Navy's doing to clean up the place and keep the community informed and give community feedback. And, then um, at the last meeting of this restoration advisory board, in, which was at the end of April, um, this person did a, it was virtual, and this person did a presentation that said, um, you know, uh, the, this, this board only has five members right now, and it should have 10 to 20 members. And then um, she puts up this slide that um, says, what is the advisory board, et cetera. And then she puts up a slide that says, why would a RAB, the Restoration Advisory Board, be dissolved? And the reasons listed are all the work is done. The property is transferred out of the Department of Defense. 75% of the members of the RAB agree in writing it should be dissolved. And the last thing is, there's no longer sufficient sustained community interest.
4: Uh-huh.
2: So that, and it should have it needs to have 10 to 20 people. So unless we get more people, folks, this RAB could be going, you know, the way of Grumman. <laughs> um, so, um, but then, they, then they, they, they are soliciting membership in this RAB. And they're, they called it, a, the guy, yes, they called it a member drive, but they haven't put out a press release about it. It's not, they, membership, the membership, the fact that they need members is not listed on the Navy Community Outreach website, right? So they're really going all out to get members on this RAB. I'm um,
0: surprised they then haven't even sent out even cassette, cassette tapes with, uh, with <laughs> the presentations. They, you know. they, they um, and of this, course, they, this, they, they this
2: use le- WebEx. That's another
0: thing. But Yeah, the, the, this led to, you were telling us off air, that, You know, this is called behind the headlines. This led to an interesting exchange that we sometimes face with our sources, but you yeah, had an interesting sure. exchange with the Navy, right? You
2: look at You kind of look at all these things and the totality of the circumstances here and does it sound like they're really trying to get people involved? Does it sound like they're really trying to gauge interest? They're looking. I, I think that and and this is what Adrian Esposito of Citizens Campaign for the Environment said is that they're looking to you know say see nobody's interested. They're not they're not submitting the survey. You know nobody they're not, cares participate. Nobody cares. So we're going to dissolve this. And that comes at a time when they're under increasing heat for cleaning that site up. You know. So I mean, it would be I think maybe in their interest to not have the rab looking over their shoulder. I don't know, but um, that's just speculation. So I sent some questions to the uh, public information office for the Mid Atlantic Bureau of the <laughs> Department of the Navy, and um, did not get an answer. And um, I did that on Tuesday morning. Uh, by Wednesday evening, I had done finished the story and and posted it. And then yesterday I got an email. Then yesterday he responded by saying both that I did not contact their office, which I did. I sent him the email that I sent him. I sent it to him and to the person who was supposedly doing this member drive thing. And and one, and two, why weren't the answers that he provided to Tim Gannon of the news review in my story.
0: <laughs> Which is a different news organization altogether. Uh,
2: yeah. Like, I'm, Well, I wrote, it, needless to say, I wrote back and advised him of that. I mean, but, you know, I'm sorry. He's the public information officer for this agency, and he doesn't know the difference between two news organizations just because they both say Riverhead. Like, I, you know.
0: I'm always amazed at, at people in the industry who really have no idea how how, what we do happens. And that always surprises me, but,
1: uh,
2: yeah, you know what, I don't buy it, there, <laughs> 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 um, yeah, Joe, but you know, um, that is, I that mean, is. We're, we're
1: all, we're all friendly, but we're all a little competitive to the different news organizations on, on the East end. And, you know, we oh. certainly don't, certainly don't share answers to, uh, to questions.
2: On what planet does this PIO live? Is what yeah. I want to know. Like, well, you know, where does that happen? And I don't. I think that was a bunch of malarkey. But
3: you know, I want to add something about this uh, contamination in Riverhead. Um, and this doesn't really have anything to do with the Navy, but when when we saw this uh, PFOS contamination in Wayne scott in an East Quag, you saw a much swifter response. Um, and I, I think that says a lot about... Um, how government responds uh, to your concerns, depending on where you live, and there's uh, there's a lot of different factors as to why that is. Um, in Wayne Scott, um, the town bonded for that money. Uh, they before they knew that they were going to get reimbursed from the state. Um, before they knew exactly who the responsible party was, the town was really proactive and they borrowed the money <laughs> to fix it. In East Quag, they were able to use CPF money to to fix this problem because Southampton has access to this enormous pot of money, um, that the people of Riverhead don't have. And that's really unfortunate.
0: And I also, I'm thinking of Gabreski whenever there was, um, Oh yeah. yeah. PFAS, um, contamination found there, uh, there was, you know, it's swift. I mean, nothing happens very quickly, but it was a fairly swift response, uh, that brought some, uh, you know, water lines in to try and get people off of uh, wells in that area. So, yeah, you're right. Uh, And
1: the town was passing out bottled water to people in in the meantime, until they could until they could figure it out.
4: Isn't there uh, an ongoing controversy between the town of Riverhead Water District and uh, Suffolk County Water Authority about who would provide
2: water? There is. But the bigger question is who would pay for it? Yeah. Yeah. They're both, they're both saying that they would provide the water, the Suffolk County Water Authority and the Riverhead Water District. And honestly, like this is like all of a sudden the Riverhead Water District is now saying, oh yeah, we'll do this. Uh, it had not up until the Suffolk County Water Authority, like literally the day after the Suffolk County Water Authority, um, I think I wrote a story about that. that and the day after that, the, the meeting, and the very next day, the town authorized H2M to prepare a map and plan to, to do an extension to this area so there are two distinct neighborhoods in this one neighborhood where somebody has really like organized around this issue um you know she's been coming they've been coming to town board meetings for years asking you know for public water because these they've known about problems you know with their water i mean there's all kinds of other stuff in their water i mean which in fairness you know the lab is not far from there some of these things and it's kind of you know some of these things could be coming from other sources absolutely but given what went on, on the site, I mean, that's certainly, um, you know, a, a target, not a target, but that's certainly a, a likely source of a lot of this contamination. And, you know, they're they're kind of taking the position of like big tobacco and it's like, well, we've got to prove it, you know, sort of beyond a reasonable doubt and then we'll do something about it. So, I you know, I don't know. Um, I think that the town, I don't know who provided actually laid the water main, like who's the water service provider out in has got the Suffolk County
3: Water Authority did it. Yeah. They
0: they took over that project. You know, it's a it's a side note, but I'm fascinated by the fact that the Suffolk County Water Authority is sort of um, at odds with some of the local water districts. Uh, we have that issue in Hampton Bays. There's been a proposal okay, for the uh, for the Suffolk County Water Authority to take over the Hampton Bays Water District, and people in Hampton Bays. There's a lot of people here who are mm-hmm. fiercely. Opposed to that, that they want their local water district. And I think probably Riverhead's probably a very similar kind of a thing, which I don't know. I, you know, I don't want to editorialize, but I've never understood why anybody thinks a small uh, when you're when it comes to utilities, anything, anything small is going to be more expensive and less effective, I think, uh, rather than having a bigger organization come in. There are some benefits to it, obviously, but uh, I find it fascinating that Suffolk County Water Authority is fighting these battles all over the mm-hmm. place.
3: I'm with you, Joe. I don't it's something I don't really understand either.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I think there's an ar- There's an argument for for local control. I get that local fire departments and, and you know, and and in Hampton Bays, look not to be cynical, but Hampton Bay's, you know, water, water district has employed a lot of Hampton Bay's um, residents over the years that you don't know if, if that would transfer to Suffolk County Water Authority or, yeah. or not. I think that's the heart of the issue, really. It could I, think be. That,
2: I think that's part of it. Yeah. But I think that it's also the idea of local control. I mean, you know, that's been a thing for local officials about a lot of different subjects. And I, I think that's part of what's motivating the town of Riverhead here to say, keep out. Um, the Water Authority maintains that it's not looking to take over the southern County, I mean the Riverhead Water District. You know, they they say that up, down sideways, every which way. Um, but um, you know, they also say that any that their, their territory, their service territory is anything that's not already being served by another water district. And so the Riverhead Water District that does the, the boundaries of it are not the same as the boundaries of the town. The boundaries of it are wherever they have mains and you know serving customers. That's the Riverhead Water District. So if they have to extend mains, they're extending their water district, basically. So not not too long ago, out in Orient,
4: actually, which has Orient has no everyone is on wells out there. The Suffolk County Water Authority was going to lay a main. To orient and the whole community banded together, said they don't want public water, even though they have a lot of issues with clay and quantity issues out there. And it was just, you know, they wanted local control, they wanted to have their own wells, which they could have had anyway with the water main there. But well,
2: um, I mean, people don't want water mains out there because they don't, they fear they it's going to, it's a development induced yeah. thing, and it is. Mm-hmm. So, you know. I mean, even people that have wells, that, that means that they're shallow and they're subject to pollution and stuff. They don't, when water mains come in, developers
3: follow, you know?
4: Yeah. That's well, it water. seems like
3: the developers are already coming.
0: <laughs> <laughs> water is always going to be a, a talking point out here. No question. It, it continues to be. This is Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, I am co-host with Bill Sutton. We're both of the Express News Group. With us today, Vera Chinise from Newsday, Beth Young from the East End Beacon, and Denise Civiletti from Riverhead Local. So, Vera, let's talk about Truck Beach in East Hampton. Um, A little bit of, uh, you know, it's interesting to me because summer's now here, so the the rubber's hitting the sand, so to speak. Uh, I worked on that for a while, so (laughs) so I could use that this morning. Um, And, you know, it's a tricky and we can get in the weeds here talking about it, but this is really about beach access writ large. This is all about maybe the, the foot in the door to begin to erode away the public's access on certain beaches because truck beach um, is certainly a specific situation. It's not, it's, it's a, it's a unique situation in a lot of ways, but it could begin to, to, to address the, the public access to beaches. Yeah. Can you sort of sum up what's going
3: on out sure. there? And I thought you guys had a great Q&A with Eric Schultz a couple months ago um, about whatever precedent, you know, that there's this fear that this, like you said, it could be the foot in the door. Yeah, um, Eric
0: is a Southampton town trustee, and he said yeah. for years that these these tiny rulings that go against beach access are just steadily eroding the away the foundations.
3: Yeah, for something that we thought was, uh, you know ironclad something that people thought was uh given to them in the the Dungen patent uh, yeah. <laughs> in the 1600s um you know and this is this is a story that we're we're seeing all over the east end it's pitting the in- interests of the many of the locals against uh the interest of a very small very wealthy group um so this week um you know my grade had a, a great scoop that there was this uh, injunction in this case that clarified that trucks are not allowed on this beach at all um you know that there was a, a rule no, not that even
1: said, not even for fishing which, not even which for people fishing. had assumed that that because of the original um the, the original t- the dongan um, patent actually well, no, I it wasn't there. i don't think it was then, no no because
3: no, this is east hampton
1: this is east hampton oh, oh that's right apply. i'm sorry yes. but, but the, the 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 original rulings had said that you know the the truck beach would be open to fishing and, and fishing industry and that type of thing so so the town had assumed that um vehicles for fishing purposes would be allowed on the beach and now they're saying no right no
3: so this is you know another you know it, you hear the Expression death by a thousand cuts. This is another cut, so.
0: And I mean, that's because the the agreement, at truck beach in particular, but it's true of a lot of the beaches in town is rooted in this idea that people in, from the public have a right to access the beach for fishing purposes and for gathering seaweed, I think were the two things that in the very earliest days when these agreements were struck, that was the argument for why the beaches should remain. It had nothing to do with bathing beaches and people coming out to lay on the beach and get some sun. It was about fishing and, and it was allowing people to be able to access the right of way that the towns had so that they could fish and that they could gather seaweed. And so now the new rulings are going back to that and sort of reverting and saying, well, that's all you're really allowed to do. According to those. I mean, all of these grand access rules had been based on that and expanded it, but the courts are starting to pull back a bit. Right.
3: Yeah.
1: I think the the big question on truck beach now is who's going to enforce that. And I think it's something that, that the supervisor brought up. I mean, the court can come in and say, you know, nobody's allowed on that beach. But is it then the town's responsibility to keep people off that beach? If it's if it's according to the courts a private beach, who enforces that and and how does that work? And how- well,
3: I mean, is it possible that the town could be held in contempt of court if they are not uh, actively and aggressively enforcing it? I, you know, I don't, I don't know, Could the homeowners know. go back to. To court I think that, that was
0: the that was the threat was there could be an injunction but I think we need to clarify for people too this is multi-layered because the issue at Truck Beach was always parking on Truck Beach it was access as far as with vehicles it was one of the very few beaches on the South Fork where you could drive a vehicle onto the beach and park there and that made it very very beloved the the homeowners there objected to that And that wasn't allowed. And the problem is there's really no access to truck beach for the public. You'd have to walk a mile to get to that beach. Otherwise, it essentially turns it into a private beach for the homeowners there. Um, But this, Beth, isn't just about parking anymore. This is about just the the new ruling is about access altogether. You can't even go on the beach unless you're fishing.
4: I mean, I guess if you had fishing poles on your truck... And you were going to park there you could argue that you were there fishing so that's but but now the town is saying
0: you can't go on the beach with a vehicle period even if you're fishing and i think the new rule is you can only go on to fish but even the people who are going on to fish i don't know where they're going to park before they before they walk the truck beach to fish so it it really does essentially sterilize that beach as a private beach right um that's the scary thing. And, and 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 that does set some precedent for future rulings. And and, you know, we've this is a unique area as far as beach access anyway. Right. I mean, this is this is this area has rules that don't apply in other places. Denise, and, and the rules are are they they're true in Southold too, I believe. Right. And Riverhead.
2: Well, I mean, in Riverhead, they're parking on street by permit only like town residents could get a permit to park on the street. So if you can't. If there's no parking at a beach, per se, and you not you want to walk on, you can park on the street. I take it that that's not the case there?
0: No, not in that case, right. There's no place nearby to park. Um, I think it's a private neighborhood for the most part. And I don't think you're allowed to park on the streets uh, outside. And you have no way to get to the beach because you'd have to cross somebody's property to get to it i think so
2: i mean yeah this is a recurring issue everywhere you know certainly in riverhead and south whole town and i don't you know we we are dealing with patents and things like that uh at least not in riverhead but um you know there's the idea of the high water line you know um anything anything uh seaward of the high water mark um is public um and of course that, you know, the high water line has been moving over time. Uh, so that's an issue. But I mean, we've got a recurring situation in Waiting River where they, uh, people, homeowners, literally put, put up a fence from, you know, the bluff or the dune, it's a, a dune, but from the bluff to the water or to where they said the high water mark was. And firefighters who were, and uh, rescue workers who were trying to get, it was Waiting River Fire Department Rescue Squad, trying to answer a call you know, there was this fence and a locked gate. Mm. That they had to like cut down.
0: To, I'm to sure do that be your brick of it. <laughs> That's not unprecedented. There's been there's been different attempts to block off the beach, yeah. and and I think you know I don't want to sound alarmist but that's always been a point of pride for this region that that from the high water mark to the water is public access and nobody can claim that as their private property you you have to allow the public on it but these recent rulings are really starting to chip away at that because they're starting to chip away at the foundation of that which is was rooted in this idea that this goes all the way back to the earliest days but now it seems like the courts are saying well the rules are really only applying to those situations in the earliest days. It doesn't really apply to the way they're being used today. And, and to be fair, to, to to take the opposite side, if you own a property on a beach, and, and I'm also thinking about the picnic area in Southampton Village, which is another uh, of the rare Beaches that allows you
1: to drive and park on that beach. You look which out, which, which is closed right now, I think, because of piping plovers. Because of right? piping
0: plovers, yeah, which which has has irritated some folks too. But
1: Be- leaving but no right. other option to drive on the beach in Southampton.
0: Yeah, exactly. Currently. And, and this was one of the rare places where you could do that. I think that was the only place in, in Southampton town where you could drive and park on the beach. But you know, people who live there have to look out at the water and see rows and rows of vehicles parked on the beach, it creates friction with the people who, who own those properties. And, you know, the, the answer to that is, well, the, the practice predates them buying those properties for the most part. Um, it's a, it's a fundamental fight that we're having here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the anti beach access folks are gaining some, some ground. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's a little worrisome.
4: Yeah. In South Old, a lot of, um, a lot of things changed because of covid, and i 'm sure they changed everywhere as far as as far as beach restrictions and One thing they had done last year was say that only South residents could use certain beaches and also they were they posted signs at the road end saying they were for Southhold residents only and there's one beach in New Suffolk where they say like you can't even walk out it 's not just parking for southhold residents only it's you can't even walk on the beach you onto the beach unless you're a Southhold resident and As far as what that what that means for the public trust doctrine, I mean, if you can't get to below the high water mark at some point, I I see potential litigation in the future. But the town's just like, sorry, like this is a unique beach because it's it's right next to the downtown of this little town of New Suffolk, which is basically two bars and a post office. (laughs) Um, But um, but people park in the middle of town and they walk to the beach and the beach. It was, it was overcrowded during COVID, um, but COVID is, you know, those restrictions aren't going to stand up at the state level once the emergency is over. So I don't know what's going to happen in South. Southwix. A lot of locals want to keep it that way.
0: I mean, it's going to be a busy summer out here, and yeah. I feel like oh, yeah. it's it going to ramp up the, the tension on this issue, um, and Truck Beach might be a real flashpoint for that. We'll have to keep an eye on that. Uh, this is Behind the Headlines. I'm Joe Shaw. Uh, of the Express News Group. My co-host is Bill Sutton of the Express News Group with us today. Vera Chinise from Newsday, Beth Young from the East End Beacon and Denise Siboletti of Riverhead Local. Um, so staying on the beach, Beth, um, I, th- I love, I'm really excited about this story weirdly. <laughs> <That laughs> there is legislation now on the governor's desk uh, that would start to allow the harvesting of kelp in local waters. This is not insignificant, right? This is a this this has the potential to be a pretty big deal.
4: Yeah. Yeah, it could be. Let I me mean, talk
0: about why why that matters. What, what what's the big deal about kelp?
4: Well, um Suffolk County has allowed uh oyster farming in the Peconic and Gardner's Bay's um for quite some time now uh, i guess about 10 years they've had this program and th- there are a lot of very successful oyster farmers who've started businesses in the pecanics and gardeners bay it's really become an industry i don't know if it's it's as big on the south fork but people go to oyster tastings on the north fork all the time and they're becoming connoisseurs of the way the oysters taste if they come from certain different areas um so there's been a pilot program the last couple of years trying to grow kelp in the estuary now kelp um, it's, it, it sequesters carbon, it it's helps with ocean acidification, it has a lot of environmental benefits. Um, they believe it can also help with algae blooms because um, it, it uses the uh, nutrients that the algae would otherwise use to, um, it, to it also, according
0: to Dr. Gobler from uh, Stony Brook, it also has something on its uh, on the leaves of the kelp that actually kills algae or or, or tends to break up the algae, it, it's actually a very anti-algae uh, plant. By the way, and wow. it, and it grows it grows in the off season for the right. oysters, right?
4: Yeah, it's perfectly uh, coincidental. So it gives them a, it gives them a a crop for both seasons. Now now getting getting there to be a commercial market for kelp in the United States as far as like people wanting to eat it. Um, that's gonna, I think that's gonna be a hurdle. Um, I know a few <laughs> years back, they they had a, Noah's restaurant in Greenport partnered with Cornell Cooperative Extension was working on all these recipes. And some of them were like, you know, uh, um, sushi rolls, <laughs> makes sense. Um, but they did like a, a kelp chocolate cake with like, caramel, like sugar caramelized kelp, which was absolutely delicious. Um, no, I mean, hey, if they, you know could,
1: if they could get people to eat kale, they can get people to eat anything.
0: I was going to say it's kelp, the new kale. <laughs> <laughs> that's there. The, that's you go. You got particular. it. Also, if you put anything into a chocolate cake, I'm
1: going to eat it. Yeah. It
0: doesn't matter. So you can put kelp in a chocolate cake, and I'll eat it. All right, I will. <laughs> but there also there there are other uses for kelp though too, right? They can. I think it's being used as fertilizer.
4: Absolutely. Um, yeah.
0: Because it pulls all of those nutrients, which are pollutants, out of the water, and then it can be used as a fertilizer, and it's an organic fertilizer uh, that, that goes, can be repurposed for that.
4: That goes back to gathering seaweed on the beach.
0: Yeah, exactly <laughs> I mean, I, purpose. I mean, yeah, what's amazing to me about this, I've always said i i've I've always been intrigued by the aquaculture industry because it's one of the very few industries that actually leaves the water cleaner than when you started. I mean, That's you know, the type of aquaculture we do here. Right. Exactly, absolutely. Yeah. Firms and whatnot is a whole other story. Absolutely, yeah. no, I'm talking about the local aquaculture, but it, you yeah. know, putting in um, different kinds of shellfish actually cleans the water and leaves it better. This is absolutely true of kelp too. And, and uh, if it becomes a widespread practice, it might be one of the tools that we can use to start cleaning up the local bays. Absolutely. Nobody's as excited about this as I
1: am. No, I think it's very <laughs> exciting.
0: <laughs> if the horseshoe crabs could live there, it would be perfect. And and that leads us into the conversation about horseshoe crabs. We just uh, had a big feature uh, last week about horseshoe crabs on the East End, and um, they are endangered right now. And there are some movements towards uh, trying to address that. Um, does anybody want to talk about that?
1: Well, we did our our podcast, which is, which will be, um, released by the time this airs on the radio on the horseshoe crab. Um, what's the name
0: of that podcast?
1: That's 27 speaks available uh, on 27 East or anywhere where you download your, your pod, listen to your podcasts. I thought one, one interesting facet of it is, is that these horseshoe crabs have traditionally been used as bait to, um, to help catch uh conch. Um, and, and eels, I, I think, by by the local uh, baymen and and fishermen, and, and you know, they catch the catch the horseshoe crabs and, and cut them up and you put them in these in these pots, kind of like lobster pots. And and one initiative that we talked about in the story um, was the effort by this organization to create this fake bait almost that that mimics um, mimics the, the the smells and the tastes of horseshoe crabs and would then could be used by these baymen um, in these pots rather than the actual horseshoe crab and, and we talked to a couple of baymen who thought that you know they're certainly willing to to give it a try and it's performing well in tests and I think that's one way to help reduce the uh, the harvest of these horseshoe crabs that are so, um, so necessary in a lot of medical, um, uh, I, I think the, the blue blood and, you know, we, we kind of made fun of the whole, uh, these are the, the original blue bloods of, of, you know, Long Island, but so that blood is, is used in, in all kinds of, um, ways medically it, it's used actually in the, in the COVID-19 vaccine and it's used to, um, to, to check whether IVs are, are, um, um, whether whether they've been contaminated or not, and and that types of things. So it's really important to try to save this population. Um, the story we did actually, um, Kitty Merrill and Dana Shaw went out and um, with a group of people who are on the beach in the full moons in the springtime, um, counting counting the horseshoe crabs and and checking their sizes and all that, and and they report that there's uh, you know been an obvious. Um, decrease in the number of horseshoe crabs um coming up on the beaches to me.
0: It's still a pretty impressive sight. Have any of you guys ever seen that? Have you ever yeah. been out to the beach to see that?
4: Yeah. I've been you have, Beth? The, I've been down to the one that Dana and, and Kitty went to. It, it's it's amazing. And you could sit there for the first hour being like, maybe this is going to be a buzz. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they just start showing up. And it, they show up after dark, but it's it's stunning. That's Pike's Beach, right? Some is that-
0: amazing photos? That was like Pike's, Pike's Beach, I think, at, at West Hampton. Yes. Did you feel at all uncomfortable, Beth? You know, because there's a lot of mating going on there, and you're showing up just to watch horseshoe crabs mate. Did you feel a little you know awkward? Was, the
4: <laughs> year that I was there, there were a whole bunch of teenagers there. So the <laughs> teenagers were more awkward than the horses. They were very serious, very meticulous. They had their rulers and their calipers, and they were very professional. I was incredible. Oh, that's very cool. Very cool. <laughs> I suggest...
0: I suggest that we might have had to put little black boxes on the photos. In some places, it might have been inappropriate. Your cover
2: photo was very risque.
0: To show something, yeah, I thought so too. I sure
2: sold a lot of papers. <laughs> <laughs> Just a potentially ignorant question, but what, so why are they? What are they being harvested for? The, the horseshoe crab. Said-
0: I think it, Bill, you you could probably answer this better. I think it's 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 about bait, and it's also about the medical uh, having okay, exactly. blood drawn.
1: Exactly. Those are the those are the two methods. And and, you know, I, I think some of them are, are harvested and they're sent off to these bloodletting places, for lack of a, a better term, which, which all claim that they returned them to to the water. But somebody had um, had said that that was doubtful, that they could survive um, that survive that bloodletting and and be put back in. So I, I think that there's an, an issue there. Um, it's important to Asian, say some Asian some Asian countries, they, they take the blood and then the horseshoe crab become a food source. So so at least it's not it's not wasted. Um, but it's, I think
0: it's, in, it's important to say that the, the, the horseshoe crab blood is immensely valuable.
1: It is. It's 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 original and unique to the horseshoe crabs, these elements in, in the blood that you don't find anywhere else in nature
0: yeah and because of that it has a very high price tag and like everything else the the you know money money talks and i think that's been but there are some real efforts on to try and address this shortage um these are prehistoric creatures that that still come up on the beach and mate and uh it's kind of a cool site as as beth said um especially since it's done by moonlight it's kind of cool that it lends itself uh, to some nice pictures. No question. Uh, behind, this is getting into a weird place here on Behind the Headlines. Uh, I'm Joe Shaw. My co-host is Bill Sutton. With us today, Vera Chenise Beth Young, and Denise Civiletti. Um, so the other thing that's happening this week, Vera, uh, coming up um, this week are village elections. Hmm. And uh, we also have Uh, Some primary elections coming up. But let's talk first about we'll we'll set the town aside for just a second and talk about the village elections. And I'm thinking specifically about Sag Harbor and Southampton Village, Mm -hmm. which have really been on our radar significantly this this spring. And as we head into the season, this has been a year unlike any, I think. Sure. In those two villages, I've never seen races like we saw in the mayor's races in particular in those two villages.
3: Yeah. Um, So both uh, myself and 27 East had a story this week about a particular mailer in Southampton Village. Um, So I just want to start by saying. If I have the, the choice, I try not to write about village politics, uh, specifically this close to an election because um, you we know, had the very, same
0: conversation. Yeah.
3: You know, it's something you don't even want to wade into uh, You, as a reporter. You could set yourself up for people saying, um, you know, you're trying to influence the election one way or another. But I thought this particular mailer really crossed the line. Um, rose to a it's the kind of thing that you see and you spit out your coffee Um, never saw a mailer like this Um, historically you know I've been covering these village elections a long time sometimes um, incumbents go decades without really anybody mounting a serious challenge sometimes less than 100 people vote in these elections so
0: can you describe the mailer, Vera? Because for so people who didn't see it, let's talk about what the yeah, mailer was. Yeah, and
3: we didn't print it, and I don't think you guys did. Actually, we did. We, we, we
0: did. And we had
3: a discussion about we whether talked or not- about
0: it. Yeah, Bill and, I, Bill and I specifically had a conversation about whether it was appropriate, and we felt like we had to put the image of the mailer- out there for people who hadn't seen it, because I think yeah. just describing it may not really capture.
3: No, and I agree. I think for us, it was more, you know, the the rights to the image. Um, that, that gets kind of tricky, but um,
0: gotcha.
3: so uh, so I'm looking at it right now. It says uh, convicted felon Holbert Waldroop doesn't live in Southampton Village, but Mayor Jesse Warren appointed him to oversee the police department. Waldroop is a former pimp and convicted felon, but that didn't matter to Mayor Warren. Why does Jesse Warren rely on his recommendations for police reform? Trafficking women for sex is wrong. Letting convicted felons oversee law enforcement is wrong. Jesse Warren is wrong. We need a new mayor for South Hampton. And It has this photoshopped image of Holbert Waldroop and the mayor. Um, the mayor's holding a cocktail. Uh, Holbert says this photo of him is like 10 years old, um,
0: and he was never in the, the room with Jesse. No, they never had a, a.
3: And then on the other side, it says trafficking in women and promoting prostitution is a crime. Southampton Mayor Jesse Warren thinks it makes you part of our community. And like, that's just a bomb of a, a sentence. You so know? who
0: put this? First of all, let's let's start with who put this <laughs> mailer out?
3: The Long Island Law Enforcement Foundation.
0: And what is that?
3: So yeah, that's a great question. Um, because I'm sure a lot of people are gonna see that and have no idea. That's the um the pack of these uh yeah. Suffolk County Police Unit. Yeah. Wow. Uh, and,
0: and that has to do with that. so um Jesse Warren in Southampton Village has been waging a fairly high profile uh conversation war? about the police <laughs> department. Yeah. The
3: conversation been, is yeah,
0: it's not it's not been great, but of course the village undertook a reform committee uh as the governor ordered after um this as,
3: you know, as every exactly, yeah,
0: after george <laughs> the george floyd incident um so let's let's be clear. uh, This gentleman was not a convicted felon.
3: So he's not a convicted felon. So first of all, so that's a that's a false statement. So I went to the Long Island Law Enforcement Foundation as well as the Southampton PBA. And they said, well, he says he is on his website, which admittedly, that's a strange thing to put on your personal website if you're not a convicted felon. So I went back to Mr. Waldrop and I said, all right, you got to say why you did that. And you know, very reluctantly, he said, look, you know, I'm an artist, I mixed with all different parts of society. And, you know, I've, you know, I thought it gave me street credit, you know, it was an old website, something he probably made a long time ago and never thought about again.
0: And but but he is not a convicted. But he not. He, he, he pleaded down. And he's not, he was not accused of being a pimp.
3: Correct. And he was not accused of being a pimp. And he, he was never, a bouncer
0: what, for for.
3: Exactly. For an know, escort an, service. For an yeah. escort service. It was 16 years ago. Um, so and, and it comes back to a question, too. Of,
1: and, and he's a he's a he's a. He's a Gallery owner in South he's a, Hampton. Yeah, he's an artist, he's an artist or, artist gallery. or a gallery owner in the village, but he doesn't live in the village. He
3: doesn't. Um. So but, he and he joined the police commit uh, reform committee because he felt like he was racially profiled during a traffic stop. Which, um, you know, I think a lot of people on these committees, um, felt that you know at some point they were mistreated by the police, and that's why they wanted to join this
1: to, to make so, a change.
3: To make a change. So, um, and I got a, quite a few angry emails from readers about this story, which I expected. Um, we're saying, well, why was he on the committee? Um, and I think that's that's a good that's interesting to talk about because one, so because
1: one of, a, of about 20 people on, on one this, of on about this.
3: 20 people. So he wasn't appointed to oversee the police department. Yeah. You know, also, that,
0: yeah, that's important. I don't think he was part of any committee that had any power over the police department, he was no. part of what the mayor had called a stakeholders group. Right. And the whole idea was to ask people who have had issues with the police department, you know, the, what do we need to do to address it? I mean, what I've never understood about this entire conversation is who exactly do you want to talk to for um, to, to, get feedback on the police department. If you talk to, elderly white residents who never have yeah. run ins, you know, who are not the ones that are being harassed by the police department. And, and I, you know, I, this mailer, I think I think you came to the same conclusion we did. It was really unusual in, in general for any election. But putting it out there for a village election is stunning to
3: me. Absolutely. And, oh. I, you know, I think it, it's it's humiliating to Mr. Waldrup, you know, he didn't. Of course, it is. I mean, so you're sending a message that if you're somebody who has any sort of criminal background and you you join one of these committees, what your fair game for the the Suffolk PBA to send out these mailers about you, you know, that's I mean, I thought that that had to be pushed back against. And I thought I thought that Mm. needed to be out there. And that's why I decided to write about this.
0: Jump in, Denise. <laughs> <laughs> you were going to jump in and you got no word. it's swab it's
2: it dropping. But but what what's the interest of the Suffolk County Police Department PBA in this? Because oh, it's sure. not in the it's not in the Suffolk County Police District. They've got their own village police. We had some interaction from this particular uh, pack in a, a Riverhead election with Sean Walter a few yeah. years ago. You may recall, and so.
1: And Mm -hmm. they've been they've been involved in some school board elections this past spring, too, issue seemed odd to me. Why? Why? What's
3: their agenda with this? Yeah. So all the all the uh, all the departments in the county, I don't know if all of them, but they belong to. This this pack, you know, Southampton Village, they're they're part of it. Um, the PBA, so I believe, the right? PBA, yeah. So it, they collect a dollar a day from all the, the uh, county cops for the the spending. Um, so it's basically um, the Southampton Village has the the backing of them. Um, and, 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 and,
1: and Denise, just on on for for background, so the village village mayor Jesse Warren has had an ongoing feud with. The village police department, there has been rumors and innuendo that he denies that he wants to dissolve the police department, defund the police department, bring in a different police department to um, to provide services in the village, that type of thing. So it's been a centerpiece of the election in general as it's gone along. There are signs popping up all over the village during the election, save the police department, um, you know, that type of thing as, as in, you know, uh, to promote his his opponent in the race.
0: And Jesse Warren has gone on the record saying that he has no plans to eliminate the police department. Um, But that has been a a narrative in this race. So, yeah, I mean, that's Southampton Village. Sag Harbor Village has has also been kind of a nasty race this time around. Right.
3: Yeah. um, So I I chose to kind of stay out of that one, you know, (laughs) because like I said, if (laughs) if I don't have to, I'm just going to kind of avoid it so i don't feel qualified to talk about what's going on sag harbor but yeah um and i just want to point out you know we saw this last year um east hampton village not that it was contentious or nasty but the mayor jerry larson raised a hundred thousand dollars you know (laughs) exactly
0: that's... I think that's it's about the tone, but it's also just about the incredible influx of money yeah. in mayors' races. It started in East Hampton, but it's it's happened this year in Southampton Village, and that's the issue in Sag Harbor Village. There's been a ton of money spent, and you start to see groups spending money now for ads attacking candidates and attacking candidates in village races. Is a fairly new phenomenon. Yeah. These, you know, village races have always been about neighbors running against neighbors. There's sort of a a, a friendly competition kind of aspect to it, and that's just gone now yep. in these villages. It's it's become uh, it's it really does, I think, reflect the national
1: uh, political tenor. And, and nobody um, nobody's talking about issues. It's it's, it's just <laughs> personal attacks on on each other.
2: Suffolk County PBA pack. Has a ton of money, as you pointed out, Vera. You know, a, a bucket a day from every Suffolk County cop, and they are not averse to spending it. They dumped a lot of money in the race in Riverhead. They were they denied that they were campaigning for a particular candidate, but just that they were campaigning against the incumbent supervisor in that race because they thought he was anti-cop. Um, and I, you know, it it casts a whole new uh, thing on on these local races even in local town races where traditionally not that much money really
0: gets spent um, that's you that's you've been covering the villages down here for years um and you've covered a lot of village races back me up here this is not yeah. typical this is a new phenomenon
4: it's brand new and um you know things are changing so rapidly out here in terms of like money and influence i mean if you look at what's going on in sag harbor i mean just uh just uh, the, the way the village is changing so quickly has a lot of people on edge. And you had mentioned too that, that in, in Southhold,
0: um, we're starting to see... Some of the big construction, some of the issues that have created some of that stress down on the South Fork. You're starting to see that up there too, Beth, right?
4: Yeah, well, Southold never had a uh, a limit on house size, and there are a lot of like there are a lot of rules that have gone in place, you know, since since Ira rendered on the South Fork and whatnot that kind of limit limit construction. And South Southwell has never gotten on the bandwagon with that, and I kind of feel like issues that were you know very important and pressing in East Hampton and Southampton 10 years ago are just coming to the four South old, and you could like set a clock by it and it's like you, you guys got to look at what happened to the South Fork because it's happening to the North Fork now too and you know we've got a trade parade up here now we've got um, nobody can afford to live here who works here which you know I know you guys are covering the the worker shortage as well um, uh, we're becoming an enclave of millionaires and billionaires. Yeah,
0: the entire East End now. It used to be the North Fork was was kind of a little bit of the way it used to be down here. Uh, but I think the, the whole thing is changing uh, in the entire region now. Um,
4: dramatically in the past year, I mean, the real estate market bears it up. Vera, before, before we leave
0: the issue, there's it, it's also um, this week's opens up early voting in the primaries. Uh, and there's one big race in East Hampton. That's uh, the, demo, uh, it's the Democratic Democratic. Yeah. yeah endorsement.
3: Um, we have uh, councilman. Supervisor. Yep. We have Councilman Jeff Bragman, who uh, already has the endorsement of the Independence Party. So he's going to be on the ballot um, this November, who is challenging Supervisor Peter Van Skoyak uh, in the race for supervisor. Um, I interviewed both of them this week. Uh, Mr. Squiak says he's running on his record, which includes uh, the town's response to the COVID-19 pandemic, its response to uh, water contamination in Wayne Scott. Um, he says his opponent is running a smear campaign, while Mr. Bragman says he's running because he wants to bring greater uh, transparency and ethics uh, to the to the board. Um, two um, candidates where I don't know, I think the big difference is a uh, governing style and personality between them. I think that those kind two of have been, this. they've Every, been at odds, right? Oh, yeah. Well, I think well, it's important,
1: important to note, too, that that Jeff Bragman is a current town councilman, but was not um, was, was not chosen by the Democratic Party to seek reelection. So that's yeah. why he's challenging um, yeah. a supervisor for, for, for his seat.
0: It's another race that's got a lot more heat this time around than it, than it's had in the past. And usually, here again, primaries are usually not this uh, this combative, right?
3: No, um, and I I don't think we're seeing the same factors that we're seeing in the village elections in this particular race. It's really um, a clash of personalities and governing style. I would say this one kind of
4: and comes I think down that to. Jeff Fragment has really. Um... Been at odds with the rest of the Democrats on the board regarding the, the wind farm.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. been a big that's issue, too. Been He's been an independent issue. voice on that. No question. And, yeah. and to be clear, the Democratic primary in East Hampton town is crucial because oh, the yeah. Democrats tend to win the, the general
4: election. They have a
3: super majority, five members on the town board, and I think registered Democrats in the town now outnumber Republicans two to one, yeah. which historically was not the case in East Hampton, but it's become uh, very blue.
4: Yeah, this, this really is the race.
0: Yeah. So that that vote, the Democratic primary is on the 22nd, I believe. Is that there's
4: correct? It's Also a council yeah. primary. That's yeah. right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. OK. And yeah, there are some there's some other seats. And I think uh, throughout the too. throughout the region, there's yeah. there's some local seats that are up for the for that primary. Uh, Stag Harbor Village's election is on Tuesday. Uh, Southampton Village and all the other villages are on Friday, I believe. Um, uh, There are some uncontested races in the other villages, but nothing like we've seen in those Mm -hmm. two villages. So we are out of time this went and and again like i said more topics than time as we usually have there's so much going on right now and we didn't even get a chance to talk about the start of summer which has uh certainly gotten underway and in full swing very quickly as we look around us and see everybody out here already uh i want to thank all of you guys for being here this morning for a very lively conversation uh this was Denise civiletti Uh, Beth Young and Vera Chinise thank you guys we appreciate you taking the time out
2: to be here thanks for having
0: us absolutely Bill thank you for the
1: co-hosting duties absolutely great show guys thanks a lot
0: yeah this was a lot of fun Uh, this is Behind the Headlines on WLIWFM I'm Joe Shaw we'll be back next week thank you